refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. I'm Serge Antonin. Black and White and Thin Blue Lines is an original podcast co-created by Clark Ollers and me. In this episode of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines, Serge and I are going to discuss the Metropolitan Police Department general order in the District of Columbia for the use of force because of an incident that occurred in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, August 8, 2021. Now, the incident is briefly this. Three police officers were attempting to arrest a man that they said was involved in a drug transaction. Uh, During the arrest, the police officers began using force. One officer had the gentleman's right arm, another officer had the gentleman's left arm, and a third officer began punching the man in the face. This was captured on videotape. There's a 45-second videotape that we have a link to on our website, And there's a four-minute and 50-second videotape. We also have a link on our website. We would encourage you to really get the best out of this episode, to take about 10 minutes, go to the website, Black and White and Thin Blue Lines, and look at the two videos, then come back. Also on the website is the general order of the Metropolitan Police Department. At this point, I want to turn it over to Serge. And Serge, what are just kind of your initial thoughts when you saw the videos When I first saw the video, I stopped it halfway through, and I felt like the police officer doing the punching maybe went a little too far. And then the person who sent me the video, who is a police officer, said, you have to watch the video till the end. Oh, you're talking about the longer video. Yes, because I was concerned that here we go, another incident that just ends in a, a an African-American man being pummeled by the police. And when I watched it till the end and I realized that he was armed with a gun and an officer alerted the other officers to the fact that he had a gun, I don't usually say that the ends justify the means, but in a case like this, I think the ends justified the means And I also feel like I didn't witness deadly force. I witnessed what I would consider reasonable police force in in light of the uh, incident. Serge, my initial reaction was twofold. And and my my first was that I couldn't help but notice that it's a white cop Mm -hmm. who's delivering the blows and it's a black man that's suffering the blows. Bad optics. The second thing that... I guess I thought about, I first read the article about the videos. Okay. And in the article, the D.C. police chief says they're making an arrest and the suspect had a forty-five caliber handgun on him. Ah. So I guess my as I'm watching the videos for the first time, I'm kind of defaulting to the... The article. I'm, I'm just a little less offended than if this was going to be another... Um, you know, vaping on this uh, boardwalk in, o- <laughs> of Ocean, in City. Ocean City. You know, I would be like, well, I think they went a little too far to enforce the vaping law. So now, Serge, um, I'd like to turn to the general order because obviously a complaint's been made. The three officers have been suspended. 
the gentleman who had what allegedly sold drugs and had a forty-five caliber gun on him, his his charges kind of laughable, isn't it? His charges have been dismissed, and the officers have been referred for the investigation, which might lead to prosecution. That led me to say, well, let's look at the general orders. Was the officer, this was my basic question, was the officer within policy, meaning that if I'm a police officer, I have ample cause, more than probable cause, mm-hmm. a lot of proof. I'm, I'm hands-on with a guy who's got a gun, and he's not submitting to arrest. What are my, what am I allowed to do? Now, here's why I say it, Serge. I think if that man being arrested reaches into his pocket, grabs that gun and pulls it out, I think the officers can lawfully shoot him to death. Do you agree or disagree? I agree. Let's say he does reach into that pocket and he produces a handgun and fires an errant shot. Now we're talking about an unintended victim, possibly, because we're talking about Washington, D.C. We're not talking about Montana out on a ranch. So I agree. Okay, so I get my... My point being then, this is how my brain works. If, if we're seconds, potentially seconds away from a justified use of deadly force, then I would generally find little or no fault with less than deadly force, even if it's ugly. So I just wanted to see, does the rule and regulations of the Metropolitan Police Department allow it? And the crazy thing, when you put it like that, we get so offended if we see an officer go hands-on and he's inches away from a deadly force situation. But if he uses deadly force, then we're upset about that. Oh, my goodness. They shot an unarmed black man. Why couldn't they punch him in the face? Well, it's crazy. you and I have both heard people lately talking about why was it necessary to shoot him in center mass and kill him? You could have shot his, you could have, you know, Shot him in the knee, shot him in the leg, and all these Shot his pinky toe off. Correct. (laughs) Well, one of the things that I was wondering about seeing this, and if I was on a jury or had to was asked to judge this officer, I would really want to know, did this officer think he was seconds away from the lawful use of deadly force? And if if the answer was yes, and that answer was objectively reasonable, then I would find no fault with punching the man. In fact, I would almost say I congratulate you if that, if if you were able to arrest this man without killing him, uh, that's that's good for all of us. So that led me to the general orders. Now I'm gonna. What is that they say in the movie? Spoiler alert. Yeah. Spoiler okay. alert. Okay. Spoiler alert. Reading the general order of the Metropolitan Police Department use of force, which is R A R nine zero one zero seven. You can find it on our website, blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com, under the show notes, along with the videos. I think the general order does not answer my simple question, Serge. I don't think it would answer anyone's. It's so ambiguous that I think it's it's set up so that the people who review the cases can do a case-by-case basis type of thing and make it fit however they see fit. Well, the general order starts with something called the background. And I don't want to be too nitpicky, but the background includes this final sentence. The purpose of this order is to outline when members may use force. So, Serge, I got to tell you, so far, so good. Absolutely. Right? All right. 
The next is the policy. The first sentence of the policy reads, the policy of the Metropolitan Police Department is to value and preserve the sanctity of human life at all times. Now, I don't want to go a step, I don't, there's a comma there, but I just want to stop for a moment. Do you agree that's a um, socially positive message? Repeat it, please. Uh, The policy of the Metropolitan Police Department is to value and preserve the sanctity of human life at all times. Well, it sounds kind of cuddly. Yes. Okay. Well, right. I think. I feel warm. Matter of. Then they have the comma. This is where they. It it gets very confusing to me. Comma, especially when lawfully exercising the use of force. Well, okay. This is why I'm concerned. I'm confused. Well, Well, you tell me your concerns. Well, here's my concern because the lawful exercise of use of force frequently involves deadly force. And I just don't like sentences that don't make sense to me. I don't think I'm trying to value and preserve human life if I'm firing a firearm into the center mass of the suspect. I think I'm doing the opposite. I, I mean, to put it bluntly, I think I'm trying to kill the person. Well, it's deadly force. Correct. <laughs> it then goes on to, it has this nice little, members shall use the minimum amount of force that objectively reasonable officer would use in light of the circumstances to effectively bring an incident or person under control while protecting the lives of the member or others. Here's what I think the sentence should have said. Use the least amount of force, period. Next sentence reads, and this is the final part of the policy. When using force, Members shall continuously reassess the perceived threat in order to select the reasonable use of force response or one that is proportional to the threat faced by him, her, or others. Your thoughts, sir? I, I just think they're all too ambiguous for me to really say what I think because it's what it what it sounds like is a trick bag. And I don't think it helps the citizens be any more safe, and it certainly doesn't help the officers. Well, it starts out by saying background. We're going to tell you what the background is. The purpose of this order is to outline when members may use force. I think, good, that's what I need to know if I'm a police officer in D.C. And then it goes off the rails. Well, already we're at policy, which I don't understand. But even if I try to understand it or live by it, I'm required to continuously reassess the perceived threat. Now, again, Serge, uh, remember we did the rule of three, right? Yes. And uh, three shots in three seconds from three yards or less is the typical firefight, uh, according to an expert in the New York City Police Department. Well, to me, you, if, if that's the typical firefight, th- rule of three, I can't be continuously reassessing. I think continuous reassessment is something that commanders do in theater wars where Time is passing. And by time, I mean months and years. You continuously reassess. I don't think you're continuously reassessing in seconds. I just don't think it works that way. Or these police commanders who sit inside of the ivory tower and can break down a 45-second video and pause it and assess and reassess, play it again and pause it. But when you have to make real-time decisions outside of that vacuum... It's impossible. And Couldn't agree with that. you more. Now, in the definition section, I'm just going to hit the highlight. Serge and I have gone through this several times. 
we are just going to hit the highlights for you guys in terms of what you need to know about the D.C. use of force uh, policy. What you should know is there are three typewritten pages of definitions. Here are the highlights. Active resistance is basically any resistance. Non-deadly force is force that is not intended to or likely to cause death. Well, I couldn't agree more. That's non-deadly force. Or serious physical injury. Well, the serious physical injury, I have to go, well, what is serious physical injury? Well, I look up the definition of serious physical injury, and I find out that serious physical injury is uh, defined as any injury or illness that results in admission to the hospital. All right, well, Serge, serious physical injury includes a broken nose. Deadly force isn't defined in this policy, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Non-deadly force, it is no longer non-deadly force if you intend to punch a guy in the nose and perhaps break his nose. And that is deadly force. Well, that is the opposite of non-deadly force, which is obviously deadly force. Mm-hmm. And so, to me... Well, you know the term deadly force is defined in most cases as force that can produce death or cause serious bodily injury. Well, I agree, but I've never liked that definition for the the reason that I think pushing a man can cause that. The man trips on the concrete. And hits his head, absolutely. Hits his head. Yep. And I'm hung up on that because I don't think a policeman pushing a man in most circumstances has is in any way intended to cause death. Okay, so now they have this definition called the use of force framework. Now, the use of force framework is an adaptation of the decision-making model, attachment A, specifically applicable to situations potentially resulting in the use of force. Serge, I would think that that is every situation. Absolutely. So then it says the use of force framework consists, contains rather, five categories of perceived threats and responses. Now you'll love this. So now we have five categories of perceived threats and responses, all of which are fluid, dynamic, and non-sequential. Mm-hmm. This use of force framework allows officers to determine which actions or act, which action or actions are objectively reasonable and proportional given the perceived threat. First of all, I'm already uh, getting glassy eyed before I even get attachment A, but I'm going to get it to help our listeners understand this is what DC cops are supposed to be doing instead of uh, punching a guy when they're trying to get him to submit to uh, custodial arrest because he's been dealing drugs or they suspect he's been dealing drugs and he's got a 45 caliber gun. Metropolitan Police Department decision-making model. Sir, do you have, Serge, do you happen to have uh, attachment A in front of you? I do. Okay, Serge, I'll read what the goal of the encounter is and then you say how the officer, what the officer does. Fair enough? Fair enough. The goal of every encounter is voluntary compliance. Serge, am I right? Yes, you are. So how do you as an officer 
obtain the goal or reach the goal of voluntary compliance. Officers must continually gather information and assess the threat. They must consider authority, policy, and tactics. They must identify options and contingencies, develop a strategy, and take action and review. Serge, what planet am I on where the officer has the time and intellect and information to do that? It seems to me that you're asking a lot of the police to have to do these things, consider authority, policy, and tactics. The threat, besides officers continuously gathering information and assessing the threat, now here's what I love. They then say how you do the threat assessment observation. Remember, now we're going, you gave me five things I'm supposed to do continuously, right, Mm -hmm. Serge? Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'm going to tell you the first one has six parts to it uh, because I'm not just supposed to assess the threat. I'm supposed to use the threat assessment observation model to include the subject's A, emotional state, B, resistive tension, C, early warning signs, D, pre-attack postures or gestures, E, access to a weapon, and F, the apparent willingness to sustain an injury. Now, Serge. Yes. I've been in a number of fights in my life, both as a cop and unfortunately as a lay person drinking too much in my misspent youth in the <laughs> in the very city where this is the policy. And any police officer came upon me as an 18-year-old uh, drunk or a 17-year-old because I was drinking underage in D.C., so I'm a 17-year-old drunk in the Shepherd Park Tavern on Georgia Avenue in D.C., and the police have been called because Clark's acting like a jerk. And I don't think a forensic psychiatrist could do what this police officer is required to do when he arrives with the rules and regulations. Uh, again, what are your thoughts, Serge? There's no way. And... When you talk about reasonableness, we love to talk about it in terms of holding the police accountable. But I would like for a reasonable citizen to sit down, not some politician who's having his bread buttered, but a reasonable citizen to sit down and look at these things and evaluate them. I almost guarantee you they wouldn't even know what half of it meant. Now, Serge, I want to tease this out a little bit. I'm going to take one, then I ask you to take one, and so forth, but apply it to the video we've seen. Okay. Okay? Let's assume, Serge, you and I and two other police officers, there were a total of four cops in the original video. Initially, the original yes. 45 seconds. So you and I, who know each other and work well together, and two other cops from our unit are all there, and let's assume the facts are what the police chief says. We've witnessed what we all know. I shouldn't say no, a little too strong a word, which we all believe based on our training, knowledge, and experience to be mm-hmm. a drug transaction. We've been sent to Anacostia because it's a high crime area. And early, very early in the accosting of this person, one or more of us notices a firearm and brings it to the attention of the other on the person of the suspect. So I'm going to say I'm first, Serge, okay? Mm-hmm. 
I gather information and assess the threat. Serge, I believe this man has committed a crime by distributing drugs. I'm familiar through my training knowledge and experience that drugs and guns frequently go hand in hand, and I notice he has a gun. So I assess the threat level. Now, what, Serge, I'm going to be a smart ass here. Okay. What is, what did they used to say, like threat level in, uh, like these movies or something, DEFCON or whatever. DEFCON 4. Yeah, like what is the threat level? My point is. It's DEFCON 4. That, right. My, am I right on that, sir? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so go ahead. You're up next. We have to consider our authority, our policy, and our tactics. So I'll say because he sees these uniforms, he knows that we're police officers in Washington, D.C. And our policy says that we must identify ourselves and... Our tactics would be to now go hands-on with the least intrusive measures to bring him into custody. Okay. So authority, uniform, policy, and tactics, I like it. So my job now is to identify options and contingencies. I turn to you guys and I say, hold up, guys. I think one of us should simply tell this young man we would like to place you under arrest for distributing, suspicion of distributing drugs in our fair city. Uh, You got any problem with the option? And I'm going to stop you and say, what you're saying that we do is adhere to our training while we suspend our knowledge of the area and the fact that he's got a gun on him and our experience, which states that he could whip this gun out shoot us, shoot a walk, a passerby, or anything. So we'll suspend our knowledge and our experience and just go with the training. Well, I, actually, I'm just going to back up a second. I'm not sure when they absolutely discover the gun. I think that may be when they go hands-on and pat down. Okay. My point is, if I'm going up to apprehend and arrest this person, I actually don't want to say too much until I am either hands-on or less than an inch from hands. Yes. Do do you agree, Serge? I agree. Okay. So now, help me develop a strategy, Serge. Well, you started with you'd ask the young man to place his hands behind his back and submit to handcuff. Is that a fair strategy? I guess. Uh, How about this stuff you see on TV all the time where they whip out guns and say, get on the ground, all that, that. You wouldn't have done that there? More than likely not. I, I agree. Yeah, more than Particularly like because I would view it as four of us, we outnumber them. Of course. And there is, a, you said, Serge, in one of our first episodes that the very presence of the police officer in uniform can act as a... De- it should disarm. Correct. The average okay. person. So now, Serge, I take action. I say, uh, sir, my name is Officer Allers. I'm a member of the Metropolitan Police Department. I'm arresting you for suspected distribution of narcotics. Please place your hands behind your back and submit to arrest. Anything I said improper there, sir? No, sir. All right. So what does the guy appear to do? At the very least, from what I saw, tense up and refuse to be handcuffed. Okay. So now, Serge, the goal of every encounter being voluntary compliance, I'm required to take action and review. Serge, to me, those two things are inconsistent. Take action and review. Absolutely inconsistent. Okay, you see it the same way. I do. In other words, okay, well, the one is about proactive, so to speak. Do something. 
The other is do nothing, think. So, okay, so I'm supposed to do them simultaneously. I'm supposed to announce my arrest. The guy tenses up. Grab his arm and make sure you didn't hurt him. I'm supposed to now (laughs) take action and review. So what would you do in the situation where you and I are partners, we're in D.C., We've announced the I've announced the arrest. He's tensed and not putting his arms behind his back. What do you do, Serge? I'd grab the other arm and try to handcuff him. Okay, so I agree. We're both in. I'm trying to figure this out as you are. I don't. I don't. No, okay, so now I want to. I just want to back up a minute, Serge, and say. So if we, I sound uncertain, it's well, wait because- a minute. We forgot. We forgot. This is the decision making <laughs> model. Here's where we forgot. We forgot that simultaneously. We're supposed to do threat assessment observation. I'll start emotional state. To me, Serge, I would call his emotional state flat. In other words, I don't see in the initial 45-second video, I don't see anything out of him. I'm not even sure he's mouthing off. He, I would just call his emotional state as flat. So take it from there. And now since there are four of us on the scene... I would see his emotional state as he appears weary. Is that okay? That's fair. All right. So, okay. I thought flat. You say weary. Neither one puts me in especially alarmed. Uh, I'm not alarmed. And they're both ridiculous because we're not psychologists or psychiatrists. Well, we're, well, we may not be, but we've been tasked with practicing psychiatry without a license if we're a DC cop. So now, Serge, we are tasked with looking at resistive tension. I, Look, I guess resist, resistive is the adjective and, you know, I guess. We're all experts in plyometrics now. <laughs> I like it. So it seems to me resistive tension means I'm tensing up and resisting arrest. I think that's what they're trying yes, to say. Yes, I would say Now, so. Serge, I think he's like... On a one to ten scale, he's a ten on resistive tension, meaning he's not swinging wildly, but it's clear that with a cop on each arm, they can't even get his arm. To me, sir, they don't even appear to be moving in the right direction, do they? No, I think they were they were both confused by his resistive tension. <laughs> okay. Now, next we we are tasked with assessing the early warning signs. Now, I got to tell you, Serge, again, language, okay? I would have, this, this is I would have put that first. Yes. Uh, thank you, Serge, because I was thinking to myself That's early. me. To me, early from warning signs are before we go yeah, hand. Yeah, from the approach. Correct. That's before we go hand on So now, in the middle of his resistive tension, I turn to you and say, uh, Serge, I personally noticed no early warning signs which would have convinced me that he would offer resistive tension, except that as an experienced D.C. cop, I'd say 50 to 60 percent of these guys. And in this area where they've experienced a spike in violence. Correct. Typically, they're trying to get away and so forth. So, okay, now I love this next one. Pre-attack postures or gestures. Now, Serge, you were uh, an amateur boxer. I was. Right. Now, tell me if I'm the, uh, what do they call it, the the uh, re- referee in boxing? Referee. Referee. If I'm the referee and I say, gentlemen, come together, and I tell you, no hitting below the belt, let's have, 
you know, protect yourself at all times. Protect yourself at all times. Okay. Now, when when you guys go to your respective corners and the bell rings, Serge, how did you use to come out of your corner? Just, Hands up. Oh, in other words, a pre-attack posture. Absolutely. Okay. Then I have to say that goes against us because this man on the video makes no pre-attack. No po- pre-attack posture. Pre-attack posture gesture. And he's technically not attacking. Correct. But he's actively so, resisting. So, Serge, I'm saying then we better back up here and develop a strategy for voluntary compliance because there is no pre-attack posture or gesture. Are you with me? I'm with you. So now I get to the next one, access to a weapon. Now, Serge, I go from a one, which it means, you know, I'm Serge, I think we ought to offer him a crumpet and some tea. <laughs> you know, meet us at the station for processing at his convenience. Now, Serge, I, I'm at the 10. He has got a 45 caliber firearm on his person. I have a gun. You have a gun. The two guys, actually, you're one of the guys holding his arm. Yes. Okay. And I guess I'm the other guy holding an arm. And we are now, I, I love where this is going, Serge. We are now holding this guy and we're unable to cuff him, correct? Yes. Officer three comes up. I say gun. Okay, now, Serge, when I say gun, if you're used to working with me, you take I assume you take that seriously. Or any cop, because it's a universal term uh, that you're taught. When you, you yell gun, it means there's now a gun introduced that's not either one of yours. Correct. It is, it is um, I, I love what your language is there. It's universal. Absolutely. Meaning gun. Yeah. Okay, so now, Serge, uh, he has access to a weapon. So, Serge, up comes officer number three. Now, let's assume you and I are giving verbal commands, because mm-hmm. I'm sure we are. Yes. Put your arm behind your back. Put your arm behind your back. Now, if we have body-worn cameras, Serge, and we're experienced officers, this is what we're not doing. We're not using terms of art. Like, we're not calling him. <laughs> terms of art. Well, we're not calling him an MF or anything <laughs> like that, because you get fired for that. Absolutely. We're saying, sir, please put your hands behind your back. Now, he doesn't put his hands behind his back, and officer number three punches him with his left fist to his face. Now, Serge, you and I are going to the U.S. Attorney's Office as suspects. You know why we're suspects? Why are we suspects, Clark Ollers? Because we didn't prevent officer number three from striking the man. So... Again, Serge, I, because I'm a guy, you, you know me, I am married to rules, and I try to follow them. Okay, so I think to myself, where does it say what I'm supposed to do uh, during this, uh, well, don't we know? It's dynamic. They told us it was dynamic back on page six or whatever it was before they referred me to attachment A. Okay, so, Serge, I go back to the idea that this is dynamic and uh, fluid, dynamic, and non-sequential. Okay, that's the phrase. Serge, I'm going to tell you I'm afraid. Is that okay? It's okay. I say it to you before we get to the U.S. Attorney's Office. I say it to you, in fact, at the scene. I'm so, I'm such a good officer and I'm so aware that 
the use of force may subject me to criminal prosecution, that I say, Serge, it occurs to me, I've got his right arm in this video. Mm-hmm. You've got his left arm. What do we know is in his right pocket that I've already alerted you to? A forty-five caliber fire. Well, a handgun. At this handgun. time, we don't know what caliber Correct. Is. You're right. We don't. Yeah. So we know it's a handgun based by outline and feel, right? I'm a little scared to release his arm for a very significant reason. Because to me, he may reach into his pocket and take that firearm out and shoot somebody. Am I right so far? Absolutely. Or if I release his arm, he may take my gun, struggle for my gun. So, Serge, please tell me how I am to prevent Officer 3 from punching him. You cannot. Serge, we, we better come up with an idea of how we can because we're being indicted. Well, maybe we shoot Officer 3. There you go. It hadn't <laughs> even occurred to me because <laughs> That's I was, a novel idea. Well, hold on. Serge, I, before you, I think you're onto something really, really significant here. What do we know about Officer 3? He's using the opposite of non-deadly force, which isn't defined, but one would assume the opposite to be deadly force. He's using deadly force. Is he using it justifiably? I would say yes. Okay, Serge, I happen to believe yes as well. However, if the correct answer is no, I'm allowed to step back and shoot and kill him, aren't I? Uh, well, that's what would happen or could happen if you use deadly force. No, well, no, or no, fired no, your firearm. No, no, but here's wait a minute. Hold on. This is what I mean. This gentleman who we're attempting to place under arrest, nobody has the right to kill him for no reason, do they? No. Well, haven't we both witnessed? A police officer attempt to use deadly force by definition on this man. Correct. Okay, so if we're right, there's nothing we have to do because the force is justified. You with me so far? I'm with you. On the other hand, if we're wrong, we have the right to take our gun and shoot and kill this officer. Serge, so far, this is their policy. Now, now, the video what, of that would be disturbing. Well, <laughs> I think, now, this is just me, Serge, a little sarcasm in the last minute of this episode. Yes. And uh, for our listeners, we're going to pick up this one week from today. It's not going to be a two-week gap. It's going to be one-week gap because we're going to go into attachment B because we're only on attachment A. Yes. But I just want to say my earnest belief is that if I let go of the gentleman's arm take my firearm and shoot and kill the police officer who's engaged in repeated strikes. It's a total of eight blows on this man. And I say, here's the policy. I shot and killed him to prevent further deadly force against the man for whom deadly force was not warranted. I virtually guarantee I get indicted. Who's kidding who? Absolutely. And this this whole thing is kind of teetering on the absurd the more you read it. Well, it's interesting you say so. Uh, I wanted to say to our listeners, uh, we have 40 minutes of this episode. We're going to come back next week with another 40 minutes. But this is what I want people to appreciate. These officers were instructed in Washington, D.C., the Metropolitan Police Department, 
This is what they said. Let me tell you what they called this. An outline of when members may use force. We look forward to seeing you next week. Any final words, Serge? Well, I don't really understand any of what I read here. And I think the ambiguity of it would frustrate the average citizen. And they somehow feel as though they were being duped because this could work in the officer's favor and it could work against the officer. It's so unclear. Absolutely. Look forward to seeing you guys or uh, speaking with you guys next week. Thank you. But life is never easy. There's work to be done and obligations to be met. Obligations to truth, to justice, and to liberty. This podcast is the copyrighted property of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines Incorporated, a Maryland corporation. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the written permission of the owner, is prohibited. For more information, we invite you to visit the website, blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com. All of the words in the URL address use common spelling and are typed together with no spaces. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and we welcome your remarks through email. The email addresses of the co-creators, Serge Antonin and Clark Ollers, may be found on the website.